Um, <clears throat> it's been, I'm just going to talk for a moment. I'm glad I was able to give a bit of introduction. Thank you, Naomi. Uh, but I just felt, I have seen quite a few faces from the past, not great on names. I'm afraid they tend to not come up so quickly um, on my brain. Uh, but I, I, if you don't mind me asking to check your name, don't be embarrassed and don't be insulted. But it's just lovely to see so many faces from the past and from those early days, some of you. And just as I was, before I got up here, I just felt quite stirred um, with a, wor a word of encouragement. I, I, I trust you'll take it as that. It should do, should do. That I felt God just a picture, really. But to speak to all of you who've been around through either all of these 30 years or maybe just one little period, maybe you moved on and it wasn't as comfortable as you'd have liked. It wasn't an easy time for some reason. But I feel God wants to say to you that uh, he is building this church. The Lord has built this and will continue to build this church we know as King's Church Darlington. And he uses many different tools for his building work. And sometimes he picks one up and uses it just for a short period and then lays it down again. Sometimes he has one that is used frequently throughout the whole process of the building. But it is an honour and a privilege that he uses you. And God, in a way, wants to commend all of you, not just leaders by any means, but others who he have allowed him to use you to be part of building King's Church Darlington. And also for you to feel a sense of pleasure that you had a part in it, but a, a, a humility that it was only a part, which is what I feel. So uh, yes, I was privileged to be involved in some of the digging the foundations and putting some of the foundations in, but others have built on that. And it's just been a privilege to, to be part of the journey, part of the building process. But the Lord builds the house. And if we don't get that, the Lord builds the house, we will lose something. We'll get perhaps bitter if we don't feel we're recognised properly or maybe just weary and frustrated and think, oh, i just do it year after year. No, no, the Lord, you're the servant of the Lord. The Lord's building the house. Be encouraged. Be at peace. If you feel, well, it just seemed to use me for a short period, that's right. Some tools are only needed for certain tasks. I'm like that as well. My position was like that. And so let's just pray and thank God for what he's done, and then I want to share the word of God with you. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I'm delighted to come here and meet this beautiful group of people in this lovely building, knowing all that goes on through this group and through this building to serve Darlington and the area around, but knowing that your name has been lifted high here consistently throughout the last three decades. And Lord, that there are many who thank God for this, for this church, people who've been saved and healed and delivered and built up and strengthened and encouraged through what you've done with the members of this church. Lord, I pray that you will achieve even more in the next 30 years. Lord, if you don't come back, I pray this church flourishes and more than doubles in the years ahead. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now I do want to speak to you. I'm going to speak on the subject, what on earth are we here for? 
which uh, I think Nikki will probably, if she's got it, don't worry if you haven't, Nikki. I'm not going to start looking. I'm just going to go with the flow. I, all we got is a few scriptures that she'll put up when we need them. But I, I've chosen that title, obviously, deliberately. It's like, well, what on earth are we here for? Or what on earth are we here? You could put all different emphases. But I, it, it, behind it is quite a serious issue. Why has God got us here on this bit of his earth, Darlington? What are we here for? What is he going to do with us or what is he doing with us? And I, my style would tend to be uh, a, a Bible teaching style, although God's given me some prophetic gifting sometimes woven into it, so they get woven together. I, I, uh, sometimes it's sort of prophetic preach. But I do feel that this is, if you like, something on my heart for this morning, quite heavily, in, in a good way, a weight from God, something I want to share with you. And, I, and yet it is quite... A, a, a teaching out of the Bible. It's quite unpacking some scriptures to help you. I really want to encourage you, but I want to, in some ways, engender faith. I want to spark faith for who you are and why God's got you here and what you're doing here and give you fresh faith for building this church, fresh faith for being part of King's Church Darlington for the future. And can I say, I genuinely believe what I'm about to say is a big conviction of my life, and it's shaped my life. I genuinely believe that to plant and build a healthy, vibrant, word and spirit local church is the best thing you can do for your community, really is the best way you can serve your community. Because like you, a healthy church will do lots of secondary things that bless the community as part of the kingdom. But actually, to give yourself to letting God help you or use you to build a healthy local church, as I said, word and spirit, is honestly the way you can serve Darlington the best of any way. It really is. And I hope you'll perhaps feel that in, with greater conviction by the end of what I want to say. So I'm going to actually talk about something in the New Testament, a particular angle on the church, but I feel it's a very important one. And to do that, we're going to read a few scriptures. So we're going to start off by reading a few verses from 1 Corinthians 3, and we're going to read verses 9 to 11, and then verses 16 to 17. So I'm just hopping about a bit in that chapter but I, I trust you can read the whole chapter and get the context if you want to. But you'll see, I want to pick something out. Now, we're, what we're going to do, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul. We're going to see something Paul said, but we're actually going to get a bit from Peter as well. It's quite interesting. Two big figures of the New Testament, two foundational prophets and apostles, uh, Paul and Peter, both have a similar picture image of the church, which is a God-given one. And when they are writing to churches, doing a job, doing a task, the Holy Spirit gave them real theological insight. You know, the New Testament is what we call task theology. It's theology that comes out of doing stuff. They're writing to churches, they're building churches, and woven into what they say comes this wonderful truth which resonates down through the ages to us this morning here, 2023 in Darlington. So let's pick out what it is and learn. So Paul writing to Corinth says this, the church in Corinth. First of all, the first bit, for we, is about himself and Apollos and a few others of the apostolic team. 
for we are God's fellow workers. You, and that means the church, and we're going to apply it, you, <laughs> King's Church, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a, spil- a skilled master builder, now I don't apply that to myself, I don't feel I'm a skilled master builder, but there's a little bit of resonance here for me, that the grace God gave me, I was able to help lay a foundation here, all right? I don't want to attribute to myself words that I feel embarrassed to, so I'm not talking about myself as being a wonderful skill master builder, but I did have grace from God to be involved in laying a foundation. Then he goes on to say, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Now he's writing to a generation not long way ahead, but some years ahead from when he started the church. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's saying the foundation this church started on was a fundamental one of Jesus. It was built on faith in Jesus, on love for Jesus, on a desire to honour Jesus and make Jesus great in Darlington. It wasn't built on a foundation of just some human contrivance. It genuinely wasn't. Just, you know, if, to be honest, it would have been easier for people to lick their wounds and go off and just join some little church somewhere. We, we, we felt God was doing something with us for all our weaknesses and our frailties. And, and God was forming something. But the fundamental thing, I remember preaching quite a bit about Jesus. I remember talking, perhaps more than preaching, to individuals because out of some of the bruises of what had gone on in previous situations, some people particularly needed to be focused back. Look, this is all about Jesus. Your life and your faith in Jesus, but also why we do church at all. It's for Jesus. So really and truly, that is the foundation. It should always be, but it is the foundation that this is built on, like it was here. Then I'm jumping a few verses down to verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, I need to say, I love English. I was once many, 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 many decades ago an English teacher, believe it or not. But anyway, I I just want to say, in English, it's a bit confusing. You is just you, for you on your own, or you as a group. But of course, that's not so in Greek. And here, this is a plural. It's quite important to hear that. So he is writing to the church like to you as a group. So you, Kings Darlington, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, there is a time to have a personal pronoun, and he does that later in the book of Corinthians, actually. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a wonderful truth, separate sermon. This, this morning, is to you as a church, and this is what it is. Do you not know, and I would say this is for you, Know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now this can be quite scary if we really understand it and it's a healthy scariness. We need to be careful how we treat church. We'll touch that before we finish. So let's go on quickly to Ephesians 2, where we're going to see another use of that sort of picture of a temple. But it's a little more than a picture. It's a very real truth, actually, behind it. So, writing to the Ephesians, he says, 
So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We could loosely talk about that as the Bible, apostles and prophets, but actually active apostles and prophets involved sometimes in building a church. But he said, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, he's using a slightly different building metaphor. Once he was talking about foundation, cornerstone is a key building in these old buildings was a keystone that held everything together. It's actually the same point. The whole thing is held together around Jesus. The whole thing is built on Jesus. He's making the same point, really. In whom, in Jesus, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let it sink in. And now let's quickly read 1 Peter. This is Peter writing to Christians in various places in probably what we would see as almost the Middle Eastern area or Eastern Mediterranean. And he says this, as you come to him, that's Jesus again, so he's Jesus-centred, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a spiritual house, a house for God, to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Right, let's really get something from this this morning. So by God's grace, I hope the Holy Spirit will help me because this is a passion of my heart, what we're talking about, and I want you to really get it. The church is a building, but not as we normally think of it. We call buildings churches, and we have done that for centuries. But actually, when the New Testament uses the word church, it's a people word. It's always about people. It's about living stones being built into a living building. And actually, they only called the building churches as a convenience, really, some back, way, way back, some early centuries, of way of saying, well, there's a temple, that's church, because the people who meet in there call themselves a church, Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, we now have, I don't know, 1,800 years of history and clutter around. We'll briefly touch that in a minute. But, but we have to be careful not to get deflected from what's in the Bible. And in the Bible... Church is people. And that's the only way the New Testament recognises. It doesn't recognise the word attributed to a building. So it's a living temple. It's a living building made up with living stones. If you're a Christian this morning, God somehow got hold of you, as he did me once. You were, let's use the stone analogy, you were like a bit of hard old rock stuck in some cliff face somewhere or stuck in some lumpy bit of granite. And for some of us, God dynamited you out. It needed dynamite for some of you. Bang! Maybe a crisis in your life. Maybe something woke you up and you were blasted out of the situation you were in. For others of us, and I'd be like this, it was more like a quiet, steady knock knock of a pick like a pickaxe and God chipped and chipped away until I 
fell out and he said, great, I've got you. Now I can use you. Now I can begin to shape you. And that goes on. The Holy Spirit begins to knock some corners off. He begins to shape us. He's not always comfortable. But he's not got a purpose of collecting a rock museum. You know, a, a room, big room full of individual rocks. Oh, that's a pretty one. Oh, that's an ugly looking one. Oh, that's a green one. That's a blue one. That's not God's intention. He gets these stones to build something. To build living temples that he can dwell in. Where men and women can meet God. Where he can be at home. And he, to do that, he joins the stones together. He cements them together with love in the end. We have to learn to love one another. We really have to learn to love one We don't get all our funny... End. We're, we're, like a nat- we're not like bricks, you know, all look the same. We're more like an older building. We are like funny-shaped stones. And God somehow fits us together. Sometimes we don't fit in that bit. We have to go in that bit. And he gradually builds us together in relationship as living stones together to become what he wants us to be. So what is he building? What is he building with you? What is he building with us as local churches? Well, we've had it. We've read it. A holy temple, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That was in Ephesians 2. In 1 Peter, a spiritual house for God, where spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God can be offered. Now, Behind this, we are not just looking at a nice picture. It is a nice picture, but we're not just looking at it. There is something fundamentally true and real about what I'm talking about. We live in what we can say biblically is the new covenant age. There's the Old Testament or Old Covenant, and there's the New Testament or New Covenant. When Jesus came to earth, when he was born, lived, taught, did all he did, died, rose again, went back to heaven, after that period, everything changed as far as God was concerned. I cannot exaggerate, honestly, how different the new covenant is to the old covenant in the way God operates with human beings. It is a great, great privilege to live after Christ, AD, as we used to call it. It is a great privilege to live in what we do today, the New Covenant Age. People of some of the Old Covenant saints, who we will one day perhaps meet in glory, we will, know perhaps about it, people like Moses and Joshua would be envious of us. You say, really? Yes. Jesus himself said, John the Baptist, who was possibly the greatest of that Old Testament, according to Jesus, that Old Testament era, he was the least in what Jesus was bringing in, had a, had a greater privilege than John. Now, this is a sermon in itself. I have no time for it this morning. But hear me. It is a great privilege to live in this age after Jesus. Because in this covenant age, God has got good news for the whole creation. Every man, woman and child from any nation and tribe and tongue can come to know God as their father, can come into the family of God in and through Jesus Christ. The gospel age is amazing. God has changed everything through Jesus. 
It's not like God suddenly thought, right, you know what, I'm bored with working this way with a, with a sort of temple and just the Jews and the odd priests going in to see me. I want... God had a bigger plan than that. But he had, couldn't operate it until his son had come and died for your sins and my sins. The huge sin problem had to be dealt with. Animal sacrifices weren't doing it. They were pointing forward, but they weren't doing it properly. The one who saved us from our sins was Jesus Christ. And once Jesus had died and risen again and gone back to heaven, the doors could be flung open. There's a new and living way into the presence of God, but also there's a new way for the Spirit of God to come onto earth. Once upon a time, Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit would come on occasionally prophets and uh, uh, priests were anointed at certain points and kings and so forth. You read it in the Old Testament. But suddenly, after Jesus has risen and gone back to heaven, the Holy Spirit can be poured out on all sorts of people. That's the good news of Pentecost. Peter proclaimed it. Now we've got what we've been looking for. This is what Joel was looking into the distance and seeing. There would be an age when the Holy Spirit would fall. All sorts of people, servant girls, uh, old men, young men, old women, young women, they would all be filled with the Spirit. They could all prophesy. It's an incredible privilege to live in this day and age and an incredible privilege to know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour because that means you've come into the good of this new covenant that Jesus has made through his blood, through his death and resurrection. He's made this new covenant and we are part of it. Now in this age, God does not, and this sorry, is going to disappoint some of you, God does not primarily use buildings. Buildings are okay, but they are definitely seriously secondary to what God's doing. Now I say that in this lovely building, as a person who loves history and enjoys looking at Winchester Cathedral, and who, has, as, a, as a church leader in Hastings and in Winchester, led through two big building projects, which were more than a million pounds, even in the days when they were done in the 1990s. So I've, I've, I know all about building projects. I've led churches through them. I believe buildings are intensely useful for a multiple, multiple things, like you do, for, for the church, the people, to reach the nation, to reach the town, to, to keep the rain off us when we're worshipping, to uh, do all sorts of community work. And actually, often, God uses them to teach us about prayer, about sacrifice, about giving, about trusting. We get all sorts of secondary benefits. But actually, buildings, despite all the different denominations, and I include ourselves, and all the different streams that get very excited about buildings from the, from the Middle Ages onwards, buildings are not the main deal. <laughs> I'm sorry if that disappoints some of you, but they are not the main thing. God is not that interested in holy buildings. Not now. He's interested in holy people who meet together and are holy, in those buildings, often, but that's not the only place they meet. But for God, in this covenant age, and this is a fact, brothers and sisters, this is not fanciful John Groves, read the Bible, God is interested in what his people are doing. Okay? Big time. And so buildings can fold in and be part of that, so I'm not saying they haven't got a place to play. But the idea that God is dwelling in 
a holy stone and bricks and mortar thing, whatever it is, and that he particularly dwells at one end of it or when it's pointing in one direction, is just not your New Testament theology. <laughs> I mean, it's just not. God is, by his spirit, living in people and it has a living building. That's the church. That's the building God is interested in. Let's go back and remind ourselves of a couple of verses I read. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, Nikki. Thank you. Just remind ourselves, because this is the one I focus on for the, for the rest of what I want to say. Now, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys that temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, Paul is writing this to the church of God in Corinth. And in a moment, not yet, Nikki, in a moment, we will look at one other verse in Corinthians just to settle what the church is. But before we get there, let me give you a bit about Corinth. You may know this, many of you probably do, but I will remind you, because we can have slightly, um, think that we're unique in our day with problems that are unique and all the rest of it. Well, it's not really true in many ways. Corinth was a big city. Corinth was a big, very pagan city. Now you say, what do you mean by big? Well, we know that there were 200,000 freemen or free people in Corinth because it was recorded. 200,000 is quite, few, quite a few, but actually that doesn't account for slaves. And often there were more slaves than free people. And uh, there was a lot of slavery in the first century. It was ubiquitous. And actually quite a lot of the Christians came from the slave class. That's just, by the way, a bit of, by the way, information. But the reality is, without exaggerating, possibly Corinth consisted of up to half a million, hear that, half a million souls. It was a big city. It had uh, uh, special games called the Isthmian Games. I can't really say, because it was on an isthmus. What's an isthmus? You know, you, well, anyway, if you don't know what it is, nor do I, it doesn't matter. But it's basically... It had the second high. It was a bit like a Manchester to a uh, Manchester United to a, I don't know. Chill, I'll be, be careful. I'm into territory here. Dangerous chair. Shut up. Redraw. Re reverse. <laughs> um, basically, it was like a, a, a second city to the capital city in Athens. It was a big place to be in Corinth. It had two ports, an east and a west port. So it was very, very important for trade. The Romans had raised it to the ground 100 years before Paul went there. Romans did that sort of thing. So it was a new city, new money, new people, very, very not much roots into old nobility and all that. Actually quite a contemporary feel from our point of view. It had multiple cultures. We know there are at least 27 different religions worshipped in Corinth. And it was notorious for sexual promiscuity. So much so that there was a phrase to Corinthianize, which meant to be promiscuous sexually. So it sounds quite similar to the cultures we live in. This was a big city, multiple religions, a lot of money, business-driven money, and very, very sexually uh, uh, sort of liber liberty, if you call it that, right across it. And actually... I will finish it off and tell you, so you get the sense of it. Archaeologists have found a number of big temples in there. One to Apollos, which was totally dedicated to homosexual 
uh, action, acts, and had lots of murals on the wall which were basically pornographic, and one to Venus which was equally pornographic but was heterosexual. And these were huge buildings that dominated the skyline. So you've got to imagine a culture not unlike what we know today, and that was where the church was and where Paul saw a church planted and grow. That should encourage you. Because it, the challenges we have in 21st century Britain are not new to the Spirit of God. They're not new to the gospel. They're not new to church. And so in this city, there was a place where the living God could be met. Let's just look at this one verse, 1 Corinthians 1, 2. It was Christians. Let's read what it says here. To the church of God that is in Corinth... Just before I even read the rest of the verse, why I'm reading this is this is a definition of what the church is made of in a city. And maybe this city, Darlington. You know, what's the church there? Well, here it is. This is what it is. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Or what does that mean? It's a funny word, isn't it? Sanctified means set apart, belonging to Christ. Something that He's taken for himself, set apart for Jesus. So the church is those people who belong to Jesus, called to be saints, which is another way of saying sanctified people. So they're called to live what they are, Jesus people, holy people, following him, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I love this because it just simplifies and, it, and makes clear what the issues are. What is it to be a Christian? It's not to be born in a so-called Christian country or a family or even to go to a building that calls itself a church. A Christian is someone who has put their faith in Jesus and belongs to Jesus Christ and who calls Jesus Christ their Lord and call upon him as their Lord and Saviour, who have a personal faith in Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my guide. Help me to live day by day. They are Jesus followers, Jesus disciples, Jesus people. Now, this statement that we've got up there is gloriously inclusive and actually challengingly exclusive as well. Inclusive, it is all those who call on the name of Jesus. So the church in Darlington is all those who call on the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Not just us in this room. But here's another truth. It's exclusive. It's only those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be in the church of Jesus, the real church, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He needs to be your saviour and your Lord. You do do something. It doesn't just happen. And I would appeal to you this morning, you don't have to be outside this, by the way. You can come and join this wonderful company, not this just this church, this company of Jesus followers. You can do that this morning. The offer is literally open to everyone, 
whosoever will may come. And as I was just preparing and reading and thinking and praying, only in the last 24 hours, a verse in Revelation, I just feel to read it to you. I just feel to read it to you. You don't need to turn to it. It's not on the screen or anything. There's this verse near the end of the Bible, a few verses from the end, Revelation 22, 17. The Spirit and the bride say come. Now, the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The bride is the church, another picture for the church. The Spirit and the bride say come. Let the one who hears say come. Now, hear this. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. There is no cost to becoming a Christian in terms of finance or money or anything. The cost is giving up yourself to Jesus. That's a different sort of cost. It's without price. There is a water of life, eternal life, available for everyone this morning. Every one of you. And if you're thirsty, that's the only qualification really, if you're thirsty, come and drink. Now, I haven't time to fully unpack that this morning, but talk to someone, talk to Mike or talk to one of the leaders, John or, or Paul, or talk to somebody, a friend, and say, what's he mean if I'm thirsty? I, I, I would like to come. <laughs> you can come. You just need to come to Jesus and drink. There's no price, but you do need to come. And that's how you become a Christian. It's not automatic. You're thirsty and you come. Now, when you come, you suddenly find that you're in this amazing, amazing thing that God's got, which is his church, his bride, his temple, his living stones. And there are so many exciting aspects to it. And God is doing wonderful things with Christians today. He's doing them here. But the starting point is about you and getting yourself, your thirst met finding hope where you didn't think there was any, finding a satisfaction for the thirst and the restlessness of your soul. If you're thirsty, come. There's water without price. Well, when you come, you're part of the church. And the church meets in groups of people. Now, in Corinth, which was a big city, as you've now got, because I made it clear, I think, they would not have all met in the same place all the time. That's just a fact. They couldn't. A lot of them were slaves. People hadn't got cars. They hadn't got mobile phones. They probably met, we know they did, in large, the, the wealthier people's houses, large courtyards around houses, probably across the city as the church grew. There was a church in a household of a lady called Chloe in Corinth. I've got a daughter, Chloe. So it was a wealthy lady who had a church in her home. Now, why I'm telling you that is... It doesn't, the temple is not just when every single Christian in a city is in the same building. The temple is when Christians gather, even two or three, to Jesus, based on Jesus and in his name. Jesus says, there I meet with you. And in the terms of what we're reading, that's where a special and unique way God says, I love to come to those gatherings. I will turn up by my spirit. I will be there. They are my temple. When the archaeologists explore Corinth and found these 27 foundations of temples I told you about, they found no foundation for a Christian building because there wasn't one then. There was no, the foundation was Jesus. That's what we're reading. There was no Christian temple or church, actually. 
So they found all these other ones. And in some of these other buildings, the Venus one or the Apollos one, you could have had some pretty ex extraordinary experiences that have been orgies in there, that have probably been occult activity in some of them. There would have been maybe glorious rituals, maybe ugly rituals, maybe sacrifices. You could have come out of some of those with your senses fully stimulated and reeling, but you wouldn't have met the living God. You might have met a demon in some of them, but you would not have met the living God. There was one temple where the one true living God lived, and you could meet him. That was the living temple of Christians gathering to worship Jesus, gathering on the foundation of Jesus Christ, gathering to love him and worship him, and having his spirit moving amongst them. Later in the same book, Corinthians, you can read it, we haven't time, 1 Corinthians 14, we know that in their meetings, all sorts of wonderful things happened, and some weird things as well, to be honest, but he had to correct some of them, but wonderful things happened. The Holy Spirit was there, there were prophecies, there were tongues, there were interpretations, there were healings, and actually non-Christians, not yet Christians, would come amongst them and through the work of what was going on there, they would say, truly, God's here. You can read it. It's in 1 Corinthians 14. And that's what Paul wants them to keep going, keep going, because that's the place where people can meet with God. Now, why am I saying all this? I think you probably know, because it's for you. You are part of something very unique, where else in Darlington, other than where Christians gather based in their faith in Jesus, foundation of Jesus, where else are people going to meet God? Oh, yes, you can have a walk in the country. I love it. And you can have a sense of the creator and God. But the reality of getting the real engagement of the gospel and of your sins dealt with and your lives changed, the new creation happens when you come and meet God amongst Christians. And when you as a group are reaching out to people, do it aware that we're part of the temple. You're a living mobile temple. It's not just when you're here on a Sunday morning. It's when you gather together, loving Jesus, following Jesus, and aware of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes you may be just doing something very practical with the love of Jesus, like feeding people, but be sensitive to something else. You might have a word of knowledge for someone. You might pray for someone who's sick and see them healed. You might find they ask a question and you're able to talk about Jesus to them because you're always that living, mobile, 24-7 temple when you're gathered together, even when you're serving God and doing stuff. It's like God's got this wonderful way of working in our day and generation, our covenant age, the new covenant age, where he is in these living temples, you, your body, but particularly when you gather together. And that's how he brings his presence. In the old covenant, the only place you could meet the tangible presence of God really officially, if you like, was in, in, in this holy place in the centre of a building in Jerusalem. That has been broken open. The holy place is you. You're a mobile, expanding holy place. It's wonderful. When people meet you, they meet Jesus. You're part of his body. Got to mix all the metaphors together because they're all in the New Testament. You're part of his body. You're, you're a place where the God, presence of God, back to the temple, the presence of God is known where his spirit is active. What a privilege to be a temple of the living God. And you are. That's what Paul said. Now, Paul loves to operate this way. It's the right way to operate. It's biblical. Do you not know what you are? <laughs> 
He says that because Christians often fail to really get what they are in Christ. And this can apply to all sorts of levels. Paul often uses this approach. Do you not know? I think it was, well, it doesn't matter who it was. Someone once said, I read it, it's not my idea. Most Christians' behaviour problems are belief problems. Just let that sink in. Most Christians' behaviour problems are belief problems. You do not know and believe who you are in Christ. If you get it, and you know when you get it, you know when you know. Say, I'm, my body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6. Therefore, I'll behave differently because I know who I am. It's a positive and a negative. You know, I'll stop doing some things and positively I realise when I turn up, God turns up in me. I'm, I'm special. Now, that's true of the gathering. Know who you are. So you treat church with respect. That's the thrust of the challenge. And we'll end on this in a moment. That's the thrust of the challenge. Paul's saying if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. It's pretty heavy. Paul's pretty heavy. He can be pretty straight. He's saying that because there's a lot of division in Corinth. A lot of people are arguing about very petty things. And he's basically saying you're messing up the temple. And that problem is still true. All that happens in church affects how effectively we're this temple. I've got to say this in a couple of minutes. I'm trying to be wise. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can grieve him. That's the word in the Bible. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but it means as a church we can lose it. It's like the candlestick is removed. Jesus challenges churches. I'll come and take the... If you can't, sort yourselves out. So church doesn't automatically behave like it should. It can end up as no different to any other club or theatre or debating society or whatever. And that is a tragedy because church is meant to be the temple of the living God. And that's where the challenge is here. Paul's saying, you guys at Corinth, you've got good stuff going on. People are meeting God there and saying, God's amongst you. But if you carry on like you are, you're actually going to destroy the temple. And then where are people going to meet God? Think above yourselves. That's the issue. That's literally what he's doing. Don't just think about, well, my, which is where they're at. Remember, this is, we're protecting a temple here. I'll, I'll, I'll take one for the temple. I'll, I'll just forgive, apologise, back off. Don't spoil the temple. <laughs> That's how we're to think, brothers and sisters. Frequently we don't, and we're not the first, these and many, many scores of others, but, but we don't have to mess the temple up. And we need to see it as precious that the living God feels comfortable amongst us because he knows we gather and we love him and we love each other. That's the fundamentals. We're cemented to Jesus and we're cemented to one another by love. And therefore, he feels at home with us. Therefore, he will do stuff amongst us. There'll be manifestations of his presence. Some of them miraculous, some of them just love. Some people come out and say, that's a really nice, I really felt some love there this morning. Well, that's not only you, that's the presence of God. And, and it's not always miraculous, but it can be, which is exciting. Don't 
withdraw from your gatherings. Don't think they're irrelevant. Oh, just, 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 just like a club, just the church. You know, I don't feel like going. I mean, we all take time out at times. We're not well or we're on holiday. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an attitude that it's not very important. It's also, so, no, it's a temple. <laughs> when you gather with your brothers and sisters, that's a temple. And be aware of it. This is where God is. He loves, this is where God feels at home. So I hope, as I finish, that I excite you about what you're doing here, that you feel a fresh faith for it and a fresh sense of privilege that we are the people of God in this area. And, and we are along with the others. I mean, perhaps occasionally the Corinthians all gather together when, for example, Paul turned up or Apollos. I'm sure they did try to do that. Uh, and some of the slaves wouldn't have got time off, so they probably all didn't make it. But they probably tried. And we sometimes gather in a wider group with other Christians, and that's the temple as well. But God calls us into certain groups. This is how it happens, and here we are. And we must make sure that we know who we are. We're not fighting any of the others. We're all part of this mobile, flexible temple of God in this city, Darlington. But we are who we are. God's called us together to be a manifestation of heaven on earth. A little taste of the presence of God. A little foretaste of the age to come. You've done well, now go ahead and do even more. Do better, not because you've not done well, but do even better in the phase coming up in the years to come.